One may have a plan and purpose, but unless he has power, it means nothing. A watch is not a good watch unless it tells time accurately and reliably. A good farmer is not a good farmer unless he maximizes crop yield and care for land. One may plan to make a good watch, one may plan to be a good farmer, but, but unless he delivers, his intentions mean nothing. You see, the supremacy of one's power determines the supremacy of one's plan and purpose. The value of one's plan is always determined by one's ability to execute it. Truth and justice are inseparable. They are different sides of the same coin. You cannot have justice without truth. And power must accompany that which is true. So here we are faced, on this Christmas Eve, we are faced with a dilemma. What is truth? Is it the good or is it the evil? Is our gospel, if our, in our gospel reading, we're given the answer to these questions. In our gospel reading, we see a scene that's brought before us. It's the scene of the nativity of the Christ. He shows that there's not just news, but good news. News that truth is good and not evil. God reveals that even the most powerful are instruments of his plan. That is glory, glorious for the lowly. That he gives to them his peace and pleasure. And that his glory fills them with purpose, evoking and inspiring them. With good news to share to others. And praise to the Most High. Why? Because there's not just news. There's good news. Good, supreme news. This is the story of good, grand, and glorious news. It's the story of God's amazing grace. You see, just as the cross is a sign of God's atoning work in Christ, so is the manger a sign of God's emptying work in Christ. God did not come to us in a pristine palace, but as one who had no place to lay his head. He came, and the only room for him was a smelly stable, and the only crib for him was a dirty feeding trough, perhaps a stone with a niche in it, or a crude wooden box, but a trough that animals would feed from, so I invite you to open up your service booklets and let us read the gospel. Join me in investigating why this is good news and what are its benefits. Let us mine the riches of God's supreme plan and purpose. Let us consider how good Christ is for us and what we are to do. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we come to you with Jesus. Send down your Holy Spirit to inspire us, to enliven us, to open our minds and our hearts that we might receive this good news, this peace and pleasure of God, that we might cherish this good news, share it with others, and Lord, that we might offer praise to you for all that you have done in and through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So what are the lessons that we are to learn? from this passage. There's two lessons, and there's multiple points underneath these two lessons, but the first one is this, is that God uses the powerful and the powerless to fulfill His plan. He uses the powerful and the powerless to fulfill His plan. We read of powerful names and historical persons who executed authority, We're told in verse 1 that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And in verse 2 that this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. You see, this story begins not with once upon a time, but with those words, in those days. It was the time with when Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the, for whom most Roman scholars say was the greatest of all emperors of Rome. Even his enthronement name suggests his greatness. Augustus means supreme and sublime majesty. Not only do the names and the event describe that this is real, factual, and historical, but it also describes that it is one of the one that concerns great power and a great plan. These details signify both the historicity and the global significance of God's plan in Christ's nativity. You see, the most powerful man of the world. Caesar Augustus issued a decree. He wielded his power. He deemed that all the world should be registered. He shook the world. We are told in verse 3 that all went, hustling and bustling to accomplish his intent, only to learn that Caesar's decree was not about Caesar's decree, but about a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. Yes, Caesar Augustus is dwarfed by the Christ child, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Savior and the Lord. Why? Because God's plan and purpose must always accompany power. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Christ is before all things, and he holds all things together. You see, the glory of Caesar's decree is that it serves God's supreme plan of salvation. 
God uses the powerful to accomplish his plan. Without this witness of his supreme sovereignty, Christ's salvation would have been arbitrary. Without using the most powerful, Joseph and Mary may have never went to Bethlehem. Without their visit to Bethlehem, Christ would have not fulfilled Micah's prophecy. Be it known that Christ's supreme power determines his supreme salvation. He moved and bent the will of man because he is glorious and good. His salvation is good because his power is good. So we would be wise to consider those important words which Christ said to Peter. Who do you say that I am? Many say that he's a mere man who simply sympathized and suffered. They deny the virgin birth, his miracles, his work upon the cross, and his resurrection. They believe that he was not fully God, but merely man. The great mystery of our faith is not Christ's resurrection or even his cross. The great mystery of our faith is his incarnation. And this is the story that we hear on this Christmas Eve. It is God in the flesh, supremely serving in such a way that is sufficient, satisfying, and once and for all, fully God and fully man. Of the same substance, co-equal and co-eternal. As God makes known His supreme power of His salvation, and He uses the powerful, whether it be Caesar of Augustus or Himself. He uses the powerful to fulfill his plan. Centuries before, the prophet Micah had prophesied that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem and that he would be ruler of Israel, that he would shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, that he would be great to the ends of the earth and that he would be their peace. Now notice how Mary and Joseph were not living in Bethlehem as mentioned in verse 4. It says that they were from a town, the town of Nazareth in Galilee. Perhaps God could have used other means to lead them to Bethlehem to fulfill this prophecy, but he chose to do so through the power of Caesar. He chose to show the supremacy and the significance of his saving power. You see, justice always accompanies truth. And truth always accompanies justice. Power must accompany truth. And here we see this supreme good news doing that. You see, God's power is supreme and strange, it is wholly different. He uses not only the powerful to fulfill his plan, but he uses the powerless to fulfill his plan. He's not like that of a politician who changes his mind with the wind to serve his agenda. No, he is covenantal, right? He is faithful, the covenantal God. He's the God who is both the faithful and the fulfillment 
The evangelist gives us reason in verse 5 of why Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. It is because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. You hear the covenantal language? God remembers his covenant, and we should too. His power is supreme, and it is strange because it is about the supreme faithfulness and the supreme fulfillment. God himself. He uses a poor young couple whose reputation was undeniably tarnished. They had no influence, no clout. They could not even get a room in the inn on the night that she was to give birth. Yet this was the wisdom of God. It was to show the glory of his saving purpose. God's supreme plan is not confined to either the powerful or to the powerless. The Lord Jesus dwarfs the powerful and he glorifies the powerless. This is the good news of Christ for us. And we would do well to remember this so that we not cling to the powers of the world or revolt from them. Rather, let us put our trust and our confidence in the God who works for us, the powerful and the good God. He's the only one who will satisfy our hearts. He's the only one who will save our souls. Let us cling to the Supreme One who uses the powerful and the powerless according to His good will. The second lesson that we should learn is that God reveals his glory to the lowly and gives them a profound purpose. Not only does God use the powerful and the powerless to fulfill his plan, he reveals his glory to the lowly and gives them a profound purpose. What is this purpose? This profound purpose. It's the peace and the pleasure of God. Good news to share to others and praise to give to the Most High. That is the profound purpose. He reconciles humanity with God. He breaks down the dividing wall of partition. He makes one at peace with another. He gives us good news to share to others. And we are able to offer praise, worthy praise, to the Most High. We read in verse 8 that in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. These for whom God reveals His glory are not just lowly shepherds, but those who were perhaps even the lowest of the shepherds. They had the night shift. The shift that I am sure no one else wanted. Like the first witnesses of Christ's resurrection, the first witnesses of his birth were those who had no place in society. They were not kings or noblemen, but simple shepherds who worked while everyone else slept. These are the ones for whom the angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around. 
Christ came not just for the privileged or the socially important, but to the lowly and the seemingly insignificant. And not only did Christ come to the lowly, but the lowly received him. So on this Christmas, may we remember not as much about gift-giving, may we focus on gift-receiving. In this time of Christmas, there's much attention on gift-giving, isn't there? But may we focus on gift-receiving, just like those lowly shepherds. That we, too, might receive good news and great joy. That we, too may receive the peace and the goodwill of God, that we too may receive God's pleasure for us. Only then may we share to others this good news. And only then may we offer praise to the Most High. Though God's glory was most frightening to these shepherds, notice what it evoked and inspired in them. It gives to them a lasting purpose and praise. We're told that they were filled with great fear. But when the lovely character of the Lord is realized, the paralyzing fear is forgotten. Yes, his glorious revelation or purpose is made known to them. It inspires them with this, not a lasting fear, but a lasting hope and a lasting purpose. Notice how these shepherds are filled with faith and action. They say in verse 15, let us go. Let us go over to Bethlehem and to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And we're told in verse 16 that they went in haste. They were on a mission. They had a purpose. They went in haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. See, God doesn't just give us signs to frighten us. He's not like a ghost that we see on TV. No, he makes himself known. That is the kind of God he is. Whether it will be the God who judges the world rightly, or it will be the God who saves his elect. He makes himself known. He reveals his surpassing peace and pleasure. He gives a profound purpose that is powerful. Like never before, Christ shook the world. Rome reigned for a millennium. Christ has already reigned for two millennia. And he will reign for all eternity. Consider the substance of the revelation and purpose that these lowly shepherds received. This revelation is God's good and powerful news. There's great emphasis of good news in this text. And it's Him who gives it. There's no confusion on this point. In verse 9, we are told that it was an angel of the Lord who appeared. And later in that same verse, we are told that it was the glory of the Lord that shone around them. 
Verse 11, the angel shares of the good news of the child who is to be born and that he is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then in verse 15, the shepherds testify that the Lord has made known this good news to them. You see, it is the Lord who is revealing his glory to the lowly. He condescends. He lists to us. He speaks our limited language. The infinite God speaks to the finite man. He may use an emperor, an angel, a young virgin, a stable, a manger. But it is the Lord who is revealing his glory. He comes as the supreme king and supreme servant. He is the incarnate God who saves. He is the Lord, Yahweh, the covenantal God. His glory is not simply a sight to behold, but good news to be understood. This is the God who saves. We read in verse 10 that they are not to fear because they are to have good news of great joy that is for all people. Why? Because as verse 11 says, on this day in the city of David, the Savior, Messiah, and Lord is born. And in verse 12, we read of how these shepherds are to find this one. They are to look for a sign, a baby who is wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then we find in verse 14 that suddenly a heavenly host breaks out in singing praise. You see, just as the work of Christ is revealed in the cross, the incarnation is revealed in the manger. Christ came not as a conquering king or a ruling judge. He came as a humble servant. And then notice what they are to do after they see this sign that was made known to them. In verse 17, we are told that they made known the saying that was told to them. And all who heard wondered. But Mary pondered in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising because of what had been told to them. Wondering, pondering, glorifying, praising. Why? Because God made known and they made known the saying that had been told to them. You see, there is great emphasis here of the God who reveals his good news. These shepherds were constantly brought back to what was told to them. The news, the good news. And the shepherds were constantly telling the good news. You see how there's great purpose for those who have been given great news? These lowly shepherds are given the greatest of all tasks. They have purpose and meaning. You see how the good Christ is for us? Do you see how we know what we are to do? We are to receive this good news. 
We are to share this good news. We are to glorify and praise the Most High. You see, this good news is about the peace and the pleasure of God for us. God comes to us. He serves us. He suffers for us. And He redeems us. He comes not as a conquering king or a ruling judge, but as a humble servant in the form of a baby lying in a smelly feeding trough because there was no room for him in the end. He comes. And if we are to receive him, then we must be like those lowly shepherd, shepherds who heard and saw the Lord's good news and were sent proclaiming it. That's what we must do. We must be like those lowly shepherds who went searching and telling and remembering about what had been done, what had been told to them. Yes, we must cherish this good news if we are to see this glorious sign of God's salvation. The gospel is not simply for those who do not yet believe, but for those who do believe. You will never find a believer who is not holding on to the good news. If we be a child of God, we must hold on to that blessed good news. We must remember it and tell it. It must fill us with purpose. If we are to join with that heavenly host in praise, then we must know and we must go. We must receive and we must believe. We must ponder these glorious things in our hearts as Mary did. And like these shepherds, we must find this humble babe lying in a manger. This Christmas, may you hear and know God's supreme plan. May you grasp his supreme purpose and pleasure that is found only in that babe who lied in that dirty, smelly feeding trough. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.